If you want to take your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians 4. I appreciate your patience as we're walking slowly through this section of Scripture. But the reason why we're going so slowly and breaking it down and trying to trying to take every facet of it is because if you notice as it says on the front of your handout here, what we are seeing between verses 10 ultimately uh, and 16 is the fact that this is God's earthly goal for the church. God has an earthly goal that we're looking at now. He has a heavenly goal that we will see to to finalize this series on the body and spiritual gifts. But right now we're looking at the earthly goal of God. And remember, when Christ ascended to the right hand of God after he taught his disciples about the kingdom of God for 40 days, he ascended to the right hand and now he is filling all things. And sometimes we would just run past uh, words like that and not really think about, well, what in the world does it mean to be filling all things? God, through Jesus Christ, has a present ministry that he is fulfilling in the earth now through the church. And where we're seeing that starts is, it should be no surprise with us because it's been this way ever since history. It has to do with what God has said and his word. And so he has commissioned five word-centered offices for the purpose of equipping the church for the work of ministry. And when this is set up in the order that it's supposed to do, word-centered offices, Equipping the church, the church does works of ministry or service that are involved with the body of Christ. It ends up leading to an upbuilding of the body of Christ. Now, let's read through this real quick, and I want to show you. I'm going to go ahead and go to 16 just to show you where we're going and finishing with this next week. But we're really going to focus on 14 today. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all, that's everybody, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God's desire is that we would be fully mature. How many of us have ever hoped that our kids would only grow up a little bit? No, in fact, when it becomes 18 and 19 and 20 years old, you're probably scratching your head going, when is this kid going to grow up? When are they going to move out of the house? In fact, you start charging them rent while they're living there in order to help jettison them into responsibility in adulthood. Yes? Yeah, you do. And it becomes a scary thing when they turn 18 because you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much they can do and they have no business doing it. I'm thankful that it's not after you've been a Christian for 18 years, you ought to have your act together and be mature. 
But what God is going for here is a collective maturity. Christ is the head. And Christ, through his earthly ministry in the Gospels, he models what it looks like for us to be mature, how we interact with other people, how we should have compassion on people that nobody else would would hang out with. Now that might get odd for us because it's not normally in our right line of thinking that I need to demonstrate love and compassion and empathy for prostitutes and tax collectors. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus looked for the people that nobody else wanted to spend time with. And he said, those are people who need me. And that's where he went. He found the people who were in need. That's what it is to take the word of God and it declares everything about his love for people and all that he's done to orchestrate a savior for people and to turn around and have that love rooted and grounded in it and then manifested and bubbling through us as the church, individuals, and then collectively as a whole to go out and to make a difference into the world, to make a difference in one another's lives. I'm sure you can sit here right now and think, Yeah, I know such and such sitting over there doesn't have it all together. And then if we stop and we have a moment of sobriety, we're going to sit here and think, I don't have it all together either. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we need one another. We need one another desperately. We need one another desperately. And so God's desire, as we become more dependent in feeding upon His Word, as it's administered through the body of Christ, is to grow into a situation by putting activity on top of that word so that we come into the full maturation of everything that we should be. In other words, when the kid leaves the house, you're not worried about it. Anybody had that experience? If that's the case, God has graced your face off. Right? That's what he desires for the body of Christ. Now, Emily came up with a really helpful illustration. I sketched something in two seconds. And she did something beautiful with it. It was chicken scratch. But notice, the basic foundational point of the church is equipping of the saints. We are a Bible church. Some people say, what denomination are you? Bible. Right? In fact, whenever Marsha asked me, he said, you know, our, our thing's not in the paper anymore. We need to get in the paper again. We need our information in the paper. What do you want it to say? I don't want to be Protestant. I'm not here to protest anything. I want to be Bible. If somebody wants to know the Bible, come to our church. Every facet, whether Sunday school, whether small group, men's ministry, women's ministry, or right here, Bible, period. Because it's the only thing that's going to feed the Holy Spirit to change people. It's the only thing that is going to mature saints and say, I need to be serving based out of that. Now notice, with that happening and equipment being fully contoured and conditioned, equipped with the Word of God, now we're ready to do the work of ministry or service. When that happens, the red and the blue upon it, building up just happens. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to get everybody all riled up and excited. You don't have to get the juices flowing of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit just does the work. The divine work of the Holy Spirit electrifies the church to where we begin building ourselves up. And if you notice at the end of verse 16, we build ourselves up in one way, in love. That's the goal, in love. Now, let's dream for a second, okay? Let's dialogue just a little bit. Imagine that you're trying to do the work of ministry apart from the equipping of the Word. 
What does that look like? You'll get tired. You'll look foolish. You won't have any foundation to draw from about how it ought to be done. The attitude is going to be out of check. You're going to wonder why you're so right on for Jesus. How come everybody else can't get their act together? Now we're criticizing our brothers and sisters in Christ. That causes division. What else? Not blessed. Man, God will not bless your work, even though you're striving to serve Him, if it's divorced from the Word. In other words, the Word sets the guardrails for driving the car. But if you try to drive on the road with no lines and no guardrails, the ditch is where you end up. And yes, I said guardrails because I messed it up. It's guardrails. You're in the ditch. You're trying hard. You're working for it. Do you realize that without the Word of God, grace becomes an afterthought? And next thing you know, you're working for acceptance, not because you have been accepted. See, everything about the Bible points to not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. And when we lose sight of everything that God has done for us, we start doing for God so that we hope we can get something out of God. That's operating in unbelief. That is something that, you're right, no blessing. None. Now let me ask you this. What happens if we try to build up the body of Christ without being equipped with the Word? What does that look like? Do we know? What's that? A hot mess. That's the most general un-Sunday school statement you could have possibly made. That's right. It is a hot mess. What happens if you're trying to build up the body of Christ and you don't have the word. What's that? Psychology would be one way to go with it. Money focused. Thinking according to the world. It crumbles. Getting everybody riled up. I mean, isn't that what we think of when we think of building up the body? We get everybody going. We got to start some momentum. Anytime that you try to start momentum, apart from something being grounded in the word of God, you will be frustrated and disappointed every time. And you will skew into a hyper-emotionalism, and I don't know if you remember this, but emotions have no truth connected to them. Truth is truth without emotion. If we're emotional without truth, we don't know how to handle our emotions. And so we're trying to get everybody built up. We're trying to get everybody riled up. Get everybody on board with this. Come on, guys. We can do it. Apart from the Word of God, you can't. See, anybody can create an honorable moose lodge. It doesn't take much. But to be something that has the Holy Spirit electrifying the veins of the body of Christ so that we can't help but to move forward because we are so compelled by the truth of God. That's a whole different avenue. That's an avenue that causes cars to stop and to turn in here and say, what in the world is going on? <laughs> it's not of the world of the Spirit. That's what it is. It's a supernatural life to live. But if we divorce it from the Word of God, there are no checks and balances. There are no helps. There is no fuel. And we think that it's led by the Spirit. I promise you this, apart from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's not in it. The Holy Spirit will not do anything apart from the Word of God. It does not happen. It does not happen. Let me give an example. We're having a church work day. Okay? And the reason why we came up with this is because it sounded like a good idea, right? 
And then you and Schmitty were the only two people who showed up. And you're like, of all the people to show up, why do I got to deal with Schmitty again? Right? And then you get mad. Where is everybody else? How come they're not here? And now we're bitter. Well, if you guys were truly saved, you would have showed up for work day. I'm not even for sure Schmitty saved, but at least he showed up. Right? And let's be honest. Attitude's terrible, isn't it? Because if we're not rooted and grounded in love, as the Bible directs us to be, and demonstrating love for one another, and being kind to one another, and tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us, then when we're wronged somehow in the body of Christ, we take it personally, we get eaten up by bitterness, unforgiveness exists amongst the body of Christ, and regardless of how right on we say that we are, we're just getting all ate up in the backside. That's what happens. Apart from the Word of God, we just get ate up. So the Word of God being equipped is absolutely foundational. Now, there's a reason why this has got to happen, and here's the reason why. We were not meant to stay children. No one was meant to stay immature. Look at verse 14. As a result, as a result of what? As a result of the equipping of the saints, giving way to the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ, which happens when those things are fused, but the entire foundation is based on the Word of God. As a result of all that stuff, look what it says. We are no longer to be children. Children need to grow up. Now guys, let's be honest. When you woke up that first morning and looked in the mirror and you're like, hmm, that was a good day, wasn't it? Because you had some man fur going on. And I don't know if you were 11, 13, in Kenny's case, two, I don't know. But when you gazed in the mirror and you thought, wow, all of a sudden your chest popped out a little bit more, muscles started to get a little bit bigger. There was something about maturing that made you want more, to grow more, to say, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting into a new realm. You know, it's funny. We, we've got one who, getting ready to turn one, and he's walking. we got another one who's starting to lose his first tooth. One's coming in with teeth. The other one's losing the teeth, right? And every once in a while, Beth will go, <laughs> my baby. <laughs> Like he's five and a half. I don't get all emotional about that. I'm like, he's got to grow up sometime. But I get it. There's something about those special times when you're small. But we also recognize that we can't always interact with our children as if they were children. Sometimes they've got to take on responsibility. And we've got to grow with that. And guess what? With the body of Christ, it's the exact same things. Some of us that are very much salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone level. That's fine. Some of us have graduated into the idea of understanding the full extent of the atonement and the attributes of God and actually living according to who I am in Christ. And we start to grow in those things. Some of us are getting in really deep things like the priesthood of Melchizedek. Anybody? We're going to see that here in a minute, why it's so deep and cool. But everybody's in a process of growing. What is God's goal? That you would be everything that he ever wanted you to be, and that he ever set anything up to be as a fullness and filling out the body of Christ. That's what he wants. So we can't be children any longer. This is the process of growth. This is the diet. This is the nourishment. This is how the intake and the exercise of leads to the upgrowing and the fullness. Everybody with me? 
Okay, making sure we got it. Good. So it says, we can no longer be children tossed here and there by waves. And what's interesting is why they translated that Greek word waves because everywhere else in the, in the New Testament, it's the word storms. We can no longer be thrown all over the place by storms. And here's another instrument. Everybody see where it says and carried along? Everybody see that? This Greek word is usually used in reference to the idea of being tossed around so much that you become nauseous and dizzy. Isn't that what it's like for baby believers? What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? I'll never forget, sometime around April 1999, I'm sitting in a Toyota Corolla with some guy. We're staring at a cornfield, and he's trying to get me to speak in tongues. I haven't experienced the second blessing of the Spirit, so he's not for sure that I'm really saved. And so until I mumble some gobbledygook from Duolingo, it's not going to happen. Tossed to and fro. Carried about. Dizzy from all that. You guys realize I almost walked away from Jesus? Because I sit here and thought I thought I was saved. And, and, and because I can't do this, and I wasn't going to fake it, but because I can't do this, I... I I guess it wasn't real. I guess, well, that doesn't surprise me. But <laughs> I guess I need to be baptized again. Well, maybe my first baptism didn't take. I've been baptized four times, guys. I've had issues, you know. Well, maybe I need to walk this aisle. Well, maybe because I didn't go to the altar and use six Kleenexes this time, I only used four, it wasn't real. Well, I should be wearing a rut in the carpet. Because that's how much I love Jesus. And here's the amazing thing about it. It all became about me. And as long as Christianity is about me, I will always be a legalist at heart. I can never appreciate grace because there's no room for it. It's all performance. It's all exercise. It's all diligence. It's all Well, don't you know it says to patiently endure? Get your nose out there and go for it. Man, if Christianity's like that, you're going to bust a jugular and tap out. It's done. And you know what? Some of us get very close to that because we get so constricted with that legalism about our Christianity. No, 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 no. Understand that we might be at the very beginning of growing. It might be the fact that we're children. And so people are talking here about this needs to happen and this needs to happen and this needs to happen. And we're getting pulled back and forth and... You know, it's like whenever Charlie Brown gets picked up by Lucy and he's got three eyeballs. You blockhead. Maybe we're in the blockhead stage of our Christianity. Let me tell you this. It's okay. That's why the body of Christ has word-centered offices that are to fully furnish every believer. Not one person is excluded. Every believer in Christ so that we would be active in response to that word and minister in the body of Christ in a supernatural way. When that happens, it grows and you can't stop it. Everybody starts maturing across the board. Doesn't matter where you are, everybody's got up to go. Now that's a good thing. Now here's the problem. What will keep us from growing? Look what it says. It says, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every wind of doctrine. Here it comes. Every wind of teaching. Here comes a wind this way. Now it's blowing this way. Here it comes this way. 
Have you ever noticed that the reason why we have denominations is ultimately because of disagreements about doctrine, yes? Which one's right? The Bible. The doctrine that is right is this one. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what it is. Taking it literally, interpreting it historically and grammatically and correctly in light of its context. The Bible is a progressive revelation. The church is not Israel. Very simple points. Very simple points that we need to say. Doctrine sounds so stuffy. I can't help that baggage. I can't. What I do know is that we're supposed to abide by sound doctrine, and that is the preaching and the teaching systematically of the Word of God. That's what it comes down to. So different teachings are going to come. That'll keep you as a child, okay? But look what else it says here. By the trickery of men. Everybody see that word trickery? It's the idea of rolling dice. It's the idea of gambling or gaming. It's the idea of somebody that wants to play games with where you're at in your relationship with God in order to purposely hinder you from being everything that you should be. We could also run the risk of that and just pertaining to head knowledge and never letting it be an outgrowth in how we treat people differently because of what we know about God and His love for people. It's real easy to take people that are different and marginalize them. Guess what? They're not any closer to becoming Christians. They're not any closer to heaven. Eternal life actually becomes farther from them. We've done more damage than good. So you've got to pay attention. Who is teaching me the word of God here? What am I buying into? Who am I listening to? Our American church's love affair with politics has cost us a lot as far as spiritual growth and maturity has been concerned. Because a lot of what's been promoted is not from the Bible. I saw a picture the other day of a billboard. Trump's on the edge of it. It says, unto us the son is born and the government will be upon his shoulders. I laughed. Shouldn't you? Amazing. Now we're all worried about what Biden's going to do with his rosary beads. I got a great idea what Biden can do with his rosary beads. (laughs) And I don't mean anything crass by that. He can repent. And humble himself before the almighty creator God and stop killing babies. And stop commissioning all this money to be released. Do you realize he signed a bill into effect that sends millions of dollars outside of our country for abortions? And then just three days ago, Mexico decided that their Supreme Court was going to make the decision that abortion is no longer illegal. We're just going to open it up. We have a culture that's killing unborn children. Think about it. There's nothing normal here. There's nothing right here. And here's where we are. And it's our government's decision to try to be God and somehow thinking that because we just subscribe to one side or the other, that that makes us righteous before God. Guys, we've lost sight. That has nothing to do with sound doctrine. Not at all. All Well, what about the tyranny that's coming? Anybody know when Christianity stood face in tyranny in the greatest way? It was our naked Savior hanging on the cross, being nailed for a crime he didn't commit with a crown of thorns mashed on his head, bleeding from his back where possibly his organs were exposed. And what did he do? Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. Let me encourage you. Our world does not have a clue what's going on. Everything that you're seeing right now is highly spiritual and they're doing everything they can 
to try to convince you peace and safety, peace and safety. They all sound like Ringo Starr on repeat. It's ridiculous. Pay attention, guys. Have our noses in the Word so that we can see the world correctly. The interpretation doesn't come from outside in. It comes from inside out. We've got to be about that. Right now, we see a lot of dice playing with how we should think about God. There's the trickery of men. How about the next part we see here? And the craftiness and deceitful scheming. In other words, it's carnally developed. How can we get this through? How can we make this happen? Well, this is what ought to be done, and so we're going to do whatever we can to see it through. As soon as we lay our hands on the church and think it's going to be our way or the highway, man, we went off the wrong cliff. That's dangerous. Now real quick, look at this again. Every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Stop. Does everybody see how all of those things are plugged in in some way to how we think? Does everybody see that? Man, that's important. Because when we read such passages as Romans 12.2, but be transformed by the renewing of your... Ah! How do you renew your mind? Intaking and saturating upon the Word of God. Everybody see the dichotomies here. The world desires to trick us and move the church in a certain direction. And we're going to put stipulations on you and we're going to take away your tax-exempt status and blah, 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 and all this stuff, whatever. I tell you, if you want to see something really interesting, get on YouTube and check out this Episcopal priest from Australia who's preaching right now. That guy doesn't care. That guy holds up the Word of God and says, if you're against this, you're wrong. And I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing what he's doing. Check him out. Can't remember his name? I'm all for him. He's great. He's upholding the Word. I love it. Because somebody's got to. In Enoch's day, he had to. Why do you think he was raptured out of here? Because he spoke again to them and said, all this ungodliness that you are doing in an ungodly way with ungodly motives is totally ungodly. And yeah, it actually says it three or four more times. I just can't remember it verbatim. And God said, wow, this is sweet. No death for you. Come hang out. Why? Holding fast to the word. Promoting the word. God has a standard. God has spoken. Saved or unsaved, pay attention. Only he tells us what the truth is. So the battle's for the mind. Now let me give you an example how this has become a battle for the mind that has become accepted in Christianity. Let's go to the next slide, please. Anybody ever heard of the Enneagram? The Enneagram. Anybody? Okay, some of us have. Published by InterVarsity Press in 2016. This book is My Eyes Are Terrible. I just ordered bifocals, okay? That's where I'm at, and I'm having to find hair in my ears. Pray for me, okay? <laughs> this is called The Road Back to You. It's the name of this book. The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. Anybody got any red flags right now? Just think. Think, okay? Now, what's interesting about this, Ian Morgan Crone, he's a psychologist, okay? Okay. Um, Suzanne Stabile, I guess that's how you say her name. She actually does a lot over the past 25 years in helping and commissioning people with retreats in Catholicism, okay? And this Enneagram idea comes out of a Catholicism mindset. What is the Enneagram? Here's a, I'm only going to give you quotes from the book, 
Okay, so you can see for yourself. The Enneagram teaches that there are nine different personality styles in the world, one of which we naturally gravitate toward and adopt in childhood to cope and feel safe. Each time or number, sorry, each type or number has a distinct way of seeing the world and an underlying motivation that powerfully influences how that type thinks, feels, and behaves. In other, world, in other words, when you grew up, there were certain things that happened in your life. And you learned coping strategies on how to deal with that. Well, this wants to pinpoint exactly who you are on a scale of nine different points. You know, you might be a defender. You might be an individual. I don't know. Those types of things. And then they want to also identify what motivates you to be and to respond the way that you do. Now, in those things that motivate, they also turn around and want to give you a weakness in the things that you need to work on in order to be a better person. Okay? How about the next slide? He says, the true purpose of the Enneagram Revealed to you your side. Anybody in here got a shadow side? Right? Some of us. And offer spiritual counsel on how to open it to the transformative light of grace. And here's what we do. Well, that's not so bad because he said grace. Right? Maybe. Here's what he said, I sense that there is a truer, more luminous expression of myself, and that as long as I remain estranged from it, I'll... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Calm down, Tex. I sense that there's a truer, more luminous expression of myself, and that as long as I remain estranged from it, I will never feel fully alive or whole. In other words, there's a part of you that's been marred in some way from how you were conditioned to deal with conflict early on. That's your shadow side. And if you could just come to terms with that by grace, you can all of a sudden become a better you because that's no longer a deficiency in you. And so there's something inside of you that is just bursting to be let out. Now I'm going to guess it's not indigestion. Okay? How about this last one? He ends the book with this prayer. I think this is interesting. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, no, let's go back down to the other one. Is that right? Okay, go down. One more, I'm sorry. I think I've got four slides on this. Here it is. This is the prayer that they end the book with. In fact, I think it's at the beginning too, but here's the prayer. May you recognize in your life the presence, power, and light of your soul. May you realize that you are never alone, that your soul and its brightness and belonging connects you intimately with the rhythm of the universe. May you have respect for your individuality and difference. May you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, that behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. May you learn to see yourself with the same delight, pride, and expectation with which God sees you in every moment. Now here's the amazing thing. There is not one scripture verse quoted in this entire book. There is only reference made to the interaction between Mary and Martha. That's it. And then they also take the time to go through and demonstrate, well, all these famous people, you know. I don't know. Rick Warren's like this, you know. But Julia Childs is like this. That'd be an interesting one. Where's her shadow side? I want to know. Mary Walker, I'm curious. What's your shadow side? I don't want to know. Don't show it to me. She's like, I'll show you after this is over. <laughs> Just kidding. I love picking on her. Now, here's the thing, 750,000 copies, 
And that's an old number. It was considered one of the, it was a runner-up for the book of the year as far as Christians were concerned in 2016 when it came out. Does everybody see that it's centralized on self? But it's not really about Christ. It's this substantive, sorry, substance-less iceberg salad that when you eat it, I mean, you're filling your mouth with something, but there's no nutritional value there. Let's just be honest with it. But if we can sprinkle a little bit of Jesus' words over the top of it, we're supposed to buy it hook, line, and sinker. People use this. I've had interactions with Christians. Go to Amazon and look at the comments. It really got me to know myself. But you don't know your God. You don't know your Christ. And you've overlooked your sin. There's a lot that happens there. I've had interactions with this personally. I had a wife that used it to beat their husband to death when sitting down to counsel me. Well, I know because I'm an eight and he's a four, here's his problem. Look, pastor, here's his problem. That ain't his problem. And I make no bones about that. That was not his problem. As long as our Christianity is centered on self, we'll never grow up. Because that's what children do. Children are obsessed with self. And as long as we have stuff like this in mass quantities that is fostering the church and spoon-feeding it to fall more in love with themselves, discover themselves, find out about themselves, open up yourself, know more about yourself. The way you know about you is by knowing God. God established humanity. He created humanity. He made humanity. He knows humanity better than we do. He told Jeremiah, when you were in the womb, I knit you and I formed you. You think God knows something about me? If I want a correct perspective of myself, I need to be in the Word. That's where I need to be. Because then I find I stop looking inward, which too much introspection is wrong anyway, because you'll conclude you're not saved. Why? Because we all sin so much. Keep looking at yourself, that's what you find out. No, instead we look to Christ. Isn't that what we're told? Set your mind on the right hand of God where Christ is seated. Set your mind there. Not about you. Forget what lies behind. Pressing on to what goes ahead. I press on for the upward goal of the knowledge. Knowing Christ. That's Philippians 3, 7-16. through 16. Check it out sometime. Paul even dealt with that idea. Let's see a real life example in a church. We have a little test case here. Hebrews 5. And here's actually what I'm going to ask, if you don't mind, Dave. Bring up the Ephesians 4 graphic of the equipping with the Word. Because we're going to walk through these four verses, and I want, you to sh- I want you to see when things are not plugged in in the right place, what happened to these people. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews at all. We don't have a clue. Uh, but we know that the entire book of Hebrews is written as a sermon. And it is all about this. Christ is greater than anything you could ever settle for. So anytime that these Jewish Christians were thinking about reverting back to something in Judaism, he says, wait a second. Those things were just a shadow of Christ. Wait a second. Those things were used by God just to set up the coming of Christ. Wait a second. He's here now. Why would you go back to lesser things? It makes no sense to take a step down when Jesus wants to take you further. And the reason why they wanted to take a step backwards and push away from Christ 
was because they began to get persecuted for their faith and they gave up. They're on the verge of giving up and capitulating. And so the plea of the writer of Hebrews is, don't give up, press on, go for the gold. Give it all that you have. Remain faithful, steadfast, strive to enter the rest that God has got available for you. That's not obtaining salvation. That's having a great showing of your salvation when you appear before his throne. So now it's very interesting. He's wanting to talk to them about Melchizedek and his priesthood and what that represents in the Old Testament. Why? Because Melchizedek's weird. And he comes out of left field. And Abraham's sitting up shop and talking to him. And all of a sudden, Abraham's paying a tithe to him and bowing down and they're worshiping. And it's like, what, who is, what, who, what? This is Abraham. Why has he got some weird Gentile guy who's a priest king out in the middle of nowhere? What is going on here? And the writer of Hebrews is, is I want to show you this. But there's a problem. Chapter 5, verse 11. Look what he says. Concerning him, that's Melchizedek, we have much to say. There's a lot of teaching that needs to be given to the church about Melchizedek and his role and why he was who he was in Scripture for our betterment. But look what he says here. And it is hard to explain because it's a difficult topic, because it's really deep theology, because there's no way that we could ever possibly grasp it being infantile that we are. Those are not the problems. Look what it says. Since you have become dull of hearing. Notice the problem isn't with the text. The problem is with the reception. I've had enough of sound doctrine. I've had enough of the Bible. I'm not fully convinced that the Scriptures are enough. And therefore, he's saying, I could go on about this, and it's kind of funny because starting in chapter 7, he does pick that up and go ahead and move forward and plow through all that with them. I could move forward with this, but the wall that I'm hitting with you is that you've become slothful in your ears. In other words, I can give you all the information and doctrine and teaching in the world, but because you're not going to act upon it, respond differently, and apply it to your life, I'm spinning my wheels. So look what he says in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Stop. Where does this end up on our graph? Do we know? By this time you ought to be teachers. Where does ought to be teachers stand on our graph? It's the work of the ministry. By now, you should have been able to take the elementary things of doctrine and because you understand them, they overflow out of you into a situation that what does it do to the body? I'll give you a hint. It's a yellow box. It builds it up. Because you have the Word spilling over, having a reciprocal effect throughout the saints, and it's turning over onto other people, Holy Spirit, supernatural growth is happening. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to start momentum. But by getting the basics of the Word of God and turning around and using that, the body goes up. Notice the frustration of the author of Hebrews. By now, we ought to be going up. But we're not. Because you become dull of hearing even the basic foundation of what needs to happen here. And look what he says here. You have need again for someone to teach you. Notice that. Teach you what? Look what it says. The elementary principles of the oracles of God. That is the foundation. You have need for re-equipping. For some reason, whenever you went to pull the gun out, you didn't have the clip loaded. For some reason, when you threw the grenade, you pulled the pin out 10 seconds too soon. Boom! Self-explosion. 
Because we're not doing it God's way. This is God's way of growth. Not what we think ought to happen or what the curriculum told us ought to happen. It's God's way of growth. So we got to go back again to the foundation. And we've got to equip all again. Why? Because you've got to start foundationally and build it right so that upgrowth is spirit-led. Not guilt, compulsion. Better get to work, guys. If you really love Jesus. You'd be surprised how much I've come in contact with that. Notice he says, you've come to need milk and not solid food. If you had your choice between a perfectly good steak, I mean cooked, right? Or milk. Laverne, put your hand down. I'm going to bring some almond milk out to your house sometime. It's tough milking almonds, it is. But if you had your choice between a steak and milk, which one would you want? Awesome. Let's try an experiment next week. Somebody bring some steaks. We'll cook them. And then when they cool a little bit, we're going to go down and feed them to the nursery. How's that going to work? A lot of slobber on them. Nothing's digested. No nutrients are spread. And it's probably going to get played with more than assimilated. Guys, depending on what you do with doctrine tells you right now whether you are immature or mature in the faith. Whether you need to come back again and have milk again. Because when it comes to solid food, you can't handle it. Now here's the question. What is milk? What is solid food? Watch this. Verse 13. He gives you two people. First, the milk people. 14, the solid food people. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Think about what he's saying here. See that word accustomed? It means without experience. In other words, the word of God is just words on a page. It's not the philosophy for the brand new born again believer in Christ. It's just an ancient book that some guys had said. Even some believers subscribe to that. Well, yeah, that's what we talk about on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, there's another philosophy of living that's going on. I don't make my choices in light of that. Do you realize how much teaching goes on in this church? And because we found something frivolous to do with other things, we run the risk of still remaining in the milk state. And we wonder why things aren't making sense. And we wonder why we can't. God, what in the world are you doing here? Well, I'm mad at God for doing this thing. It's because we're infants who have no understanding. Because if we would simply read and intake and be taught the word of God, we would have a heavenly mindset about how we live this earthly life and realize, I'm just passing through. This is just a short, very uncomfortable vacation to the eternity of bliss that I have coming. Where are you? Where are you? Does the word of God matter in your daily life and decision making? Or do we see that it's kind of foreign and we're having problems embracing it because we are inexperienced. We're not accustomed to its having its way in nurturing our body. That's leaving the Bible on the page and the person still acting like the world. That's a carnal Christian. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you are still babes in Christ. How? This right here unlocks that understanding for you. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for who? 
the mature. What does a mature Christian look like? Here it is. Who because of practice, habit, constant use, employing what you're getting by the teaching of the Word from the Word-centered offices in the body of Christ. I'm taking that and I'm now using that in my life. And it's now changing who I am. It's now changing the way I do my taxes. It's now changing the way I treat people at work. It's now changing the way that I love and discipline my kids. It's now changing the way that I talk to my wife. The Word of God is the standard which makes the difference of those things. Well, I tried to do what Dr. Spock said. He ain't making it work. It's not happening. I know, different guys, whatever. Work with me. Practice happens for the mature. Notice, they've had their senses trained. They've had their perceptions. The faculties of their mind have undergone a new regimen of employing this nourishment and growing in a different way. When that happens for every believer in Christ, guess what we do? We grow up. We grow up into the fullness of all that God desires for us in Christ. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, If you were to take this Greek word here for senses and you look at it, how is it used in the Old Testament when they translated to Greek? It's the exact same word as heart. Having your heart trained to use God's word and let it be what guides your life, your thinking, your decisions, your motives, your responses, how you live. He says here, They've had their practice, uh, the practice of their senses trained, exercised to discern good and evil. Now think about what that just told you. The mature in Christ employ God's word as it's taught into their lives and it changes them so that when they look at a situation, they can go, that's evil. And they can go, that's good. Do you realize that if the word of God is not a practice in your life, you can't do that well? You can't distinguish those things. Why? Because Satan even masquerades as an angel of light. Because when we talk about that there are wolves in sheep's clothing, comes from the Bible, it's not that you look at them and they're all dressed white and for some reason they got a wolf mouth there. You can't see it. It's because they're here to deceive and to trick you. So it's not readily apparent. But if we're so familiar with the Word of God, if we're accustomed to ingesting that and applying that and living in the light of that, we are maturing as Christians. And we can look at situations and spot a counterfeit from a mile away. I would hate to think that the American church died because of its failure to be discerning when we had an abundance of God's Word. You're not involved in the Sunday school class, get involved in it. Get invested. Start taking in the milk so that you will apply it and it become meat in your life. It's vitally important. It's vitally important. Because God has already planned great things to do through us. I tell you this, if we're not living according to the guidance of His Word, we're missing out. I don't know about you, that's not a boat I want to miss. And that's not a boat that we should miss at all. I don't care what anybody says, and yes, I'm biased. Our church is different. I'm saying we're better than other Christians. No. I'm saying that our heads are not in the clouds, and we're not being smokescreened by all this garbage that's going on in the world. We're about the Word of God. We're about Christ. 
We proclaim Him and Him crucified. And we are here to warn every person and to teach every person so that we present every single person as mature in Christ when it comes down to the judgment. Period. No compromises, no excuses, no capitulating. None. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the difference that the Word of God can make in our lives. If we've become white noise and dull of hearing in this situation, God, correct our hearts. That's a heart issue. Help us recognize that if we're immature of the faith, your desire for your children is to grow and to grow rightly and to mature and to be all the fullness that you've already sculpted out for the body of Christ to be. Thank you. We have Bible upon Bible upon Bible. So many translations. It's unbelievable how blessed we are. I pray, Father, our downfall as Christians would not be because of ignorance and Bible illiteracy. That is absolutely unacceptable in the day and age in which we live and the rampant sin that we see before us. Father, move our hearts, please, by the power of your Spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.